Welcome to the Integral Being podcast, a podcast where we explore integrated wisdom in a complex and fragmented world. I'm your host, Gregor Steinmauer, therapist, group facilitator, working with individuals, groups, and executives on transformation and an integrated and trauma-informed approach to life. My conversation partner is David Lyon. David is a coach for self-employed creative professionals and has been helping me with my online presence for the last years. In addition to that, he has been an important sparring partner in the creation of various online trainings and inspiring conversations such as this podcast. In this episode, we explored the relationship between different states of our nervous system and how that actually relates to what we would call spiritual experiences. And from there, we kind of lift the curtains of why we used to call certain people who possess certain abilities, or we used to call them saints or sages, and what these people, whatever name we would like to give them now in our modern times, uh, what these people have to offer and actually can contribute to the world. I hope you enjoy the conversation and see you there. Yeah, no, I'd love to take some time to connect the dots between the the work that, that we've been doing with trauma-informed facilitation and leadership and spirituality and like the I don't know if that's the right wording but the spiritual power someone can have uh, on people around them but also maybe even larger like the world Right. And as usual, I kind of feel compelled to map out the territory a little bit also around the terms we're using. So spirituality, of course, is a very vague term. Um, so I would bring in the term consciousness, which is to some degree equally vague, but more like speaks more to the inner mechanism or the, the the levels of principle that then applies into something that where people feel like I'm engaged in something spiritual, which means there's something at hand that feels not immediately graspable or cannot be easily defined by by what you're doing and by what somebody is saying. Like you're kind of in the zone of, in a way, mysticism not in the kind of spooky version, but in the form of like, I have to bow down to something that I don't fully grasp and know. And I think that's a very interesting place to also understand and use the, or use the understanding that where our scientific advancements into understanding the human condition through psychology and neuroscience, particularly related to this, um, can slowly step by step enlighten more and more and, and show us that, that there is also not just something woo-woo that we can grasp going on there but that there are real mechanisms and principles at work that create effects and so um and i think there's always a constant relationship that we more and more find out things that also confirm things that have been said by wisdom traditions for thousands of years and now we have a confirmation how to make it proof to our scientific mind which is great and at the same time it will never catch up i think because the there's always an inherent 
dimension of not knowing that is present in really engaging in a, in a grounded spirituality. Um, nevertheless, it's a fascinating, super interesting journey to see when we hold both approaches, um, which are essentially anyway one, but if we just for the fun of it, take it apart, see how they overlap and make also some things more um, a way of looking at it that gives, also empowers people in order to understand what can be practiced, what we're actually experiencing. So I would say it's, it's basically a framing of the power of consciousness and the power of states in which our selves and the most actual term we have for that is often our, the state of our nervous system is operating in. And as usual, we, like usually we're very busy and kind of focused on, on actions in life. So what did you do? What did you say? Um, what happened that creates a certain effect? So even in healing or in therapy, there's often this, the questions of what method are you applying? What kind of technique do you uh, use? What, what did you do so that there was a certain effect that, that becomes then either measurable or tangible in a person? Because you see like the person feels different or the person, the client, him or herself feels like, oh, something happened. What, what did you do? And that is, of course, a, an interesting research dimension. And there's lots and lots of research on what actually makes healing therapy, whatever frame you want to give it, effective. And there's always a mystery factor in there. And then often it's been described, it's a relational experience, but also that doesn't fully explain like what, what's going on in that mysterious kind of like relational zone between the healer or a therapist and the client. And so what is being more and more also considered is not just what you do as an outer application of something, but what's the kind of inner state that the person is in that is using a certain method. And of course, methods are not unimportant, but um, in my understanding, you can trace that with a lot of genius people that brought kind of also advancements into into healing or into psychotherapy it's very you can really go with with like breaking figures starting from freud and many many others who kind of unleashed a certain way for even a paradigm shift in healing methodologies that they didn't start out having a method they didn't sit down and like oh these are five cool steps let's use them they all started from an experience and in the better cases often the experience was something they understood deeply in themselves. So it became an embodied experience or a, yeah, an embodied experience of, some, of something fundamental in life. And most people had something particular that they understood. Hmm. And then out of using that through probably hundreds and thousands of sessions and, and ways of working with themselves and with clients and with patients and with groups and whatever, um, often a method emerged because also often not even the people themselves often were sitting down and like watching closely like well, what's going on here and what are the, de the deductible steps that can be observed and then you derive a method out of that that in the best cases again they're good and 
not so good cases of this. In the best case, they kind of like still have the the flesh and the choose of what's going on there, like in the method. So when somebody trains themselves to use that method, they're still running on a certain wind um, or a certain choose starts to run through them through using the steps that make whatever they're doing effective or more effective than not using that. In some cases that of course then becomes also or it can become a rigid application of a technicality or like a mechanistic way of doing like ABC. And even that sometimes if the method is really good, that works to a certain degree, but it doesn't, I think, um, transmit the full force that was once in there. So what we're looking back when we trace it a little bit back to the origins and in a way what I just described could be explained with a bit of a variation to the foundings of religions, that mm -hmm. religions were based on a person or an individual or maybe even a group having an experience, embodying that, understanding something very deeply about the fundamental workings of life that make life more meaningful, more fruitful, more regenerative, whatever, healing and flourishing and evolution. And then with time distilling practices and rituals and commandments and all of this, so that it can be translated to the next person, to the next generation, it can be handed down over generations. And so you can still see in almost all religious traditions, there's really powerful principle at the essence of the teaching and yet often then with time it kind of like calcified and the fire is gone of the direct experience and it becomes a rigid um adhering to rules which then are not anymore lived experiences that have always a certain fluidity and emergence to it but like just uh uh kind of more rigid outline you do this that's the right way and if you break that code this and this will happen and then we're back into moral codes rather than understanding deeper principles of life and again that's just simply how it works sometimes and then in the good cases this stays more alive the practices really engage and create a life experiences in the practitioner or in the congregation and in not so good cases, it becomes like a, a, a rigid morality that actually then um, starts to stand against the emergent experience of, of, of aliveness and of life. Mm -hmm. So we all know these kind of things. So also with um, healing methods that often happened, and then you start to have methods and then, of course, you also reach the limits of that or somebody else understand, under, finds out something else. And then if you make that shift, life keeps continuing or you stay stuck with, with an orientation of what you do. So that's the orientation of what, what are you doing? So if somebody asks you, so what are you doing with people? You will, <laughs> when you work with people, it's great that you, you will actually need to have some words to describe what you're doing or have a, a lineage that you that you relate to um but also to know that this is not the full deal so because what is more i think 
powerful than what you do is in which state you are in when you do whatever you do. And this is where teaching around the nervous system is already coming a little bit closer to what spiritual principles would call like uh, experiences or enlightened experiences or whatever. These are also basically state experiences. Um, that you have an understanding, is the person more internally in a place of choice, of freedom, of unconditional love? There's lots of essential states that can be linked to these experiences because that creates a different vibration and um, zone of experience in the nervous system also. And, and is not disconnected from the effect that you're having. So and in a way, we all know that in very simple terms, if you are with a person that is in a good mood or in a good state, um, it's kind of contagious. And the other way is very true as well. If a person is in a depressed state, very stuck in the loop, very angry, very irritated, whatever, we're all in that at some point in our lives, it's also contagious. So we, because we're social beings through and through, we're our survival depends on the capacity that we can relate with each other and that we can also mirror each other and that we can um, create synchronicity through matching our inner states with each other that gave rise to the power of the human animal because we can create more, more synchronicity through more synchronicity, you have more capacity, through more capacity, you can build more, you can create more, you can build civilizations and there's also a, a catch to it of course that you're you can synchronize around um regenerative emergent and creative um, frequencies let's say or like states where where one person is in the room really uplifts everybody and everybody suddenly feels uplifted and we can also synchronize around states of panic, um, terror, fear, exclusion, scarcity, and uh, shutdown and more violence, like as things that then can follow that. So, and there is a bit of a question of the nervous systems, simply speaking, are always trying to do it. They will always try to find synchronicity because that was our first initial survival mechanism to find contact with somebody. As social creatures, we need contact more than anything. So I will link with whatever and synchronize with whatever is available. Whether that's a good state to be in was secondary because I need somebody. So I even link to something that is not a good state to be in but at least there's contact and that creates a lot of patterning in people that then why, when people ask so why do people choose somebody that's not good for them it's because it feels familiar and it's probably what already happened before and it gave me a role it gave me an identity it gives me a kind of like safety and security even if it doesn't feel good and anyway feeling good is not a, <laughs> the right category for that but if it's more a repetitive cycle that just repeats um, and doesn't allow much creative future, or if it's a pattern that feels it's it's creating and it's actually allowing me to show up more fully with, with what's important for me. And like I am 
living my life rather than I'm being lived by my patterns. Hmm. Can there are two things I'd like to bring in? Yeah. Um, so one, one is a rephrase of something that you said, which I find really important is this like remembering the, the origin or maybe in other words, the why of a religion or a therapeutic modality that, that in essence, there's always an experience first an insight and understanding and then we build on top of this and like one one way of talking about this that that i hear it's more in business context is function over form so to to discern okay what is what is the form that i'm using but like why the why being the function like why, why am i doing this and yeah that when when something feels kind of empty like what my experience was of religion for example as a kid was because the function is not clear like there's not a clear connection to why the hell are we doing this we're stuck in the form um hoping somehow that that's what's going to save us but we're completely disconnected from the actual function from like the the reason why this was even developed right yeah, and it happens a lot with religion and of course with other functions and often big social experiments in the 20th century around like communism for example or, or any kind of isms often were also functioning as certain kind of like proto-religions to create meaning and orientation and synchronicity among among people. And it's powerful, you could see, like it, it, it organized a lot of people into coherent action, even into coherent action, often then at the very end of the, the idealistic uh, experiments became fatal destruction. Mm -hmm. um, but say it was like a coherent action. And so like synchronicities or like creating coherence among people is not per se good or bad. It's like, so what are we cohering around or synchronizing around? And so, um, so there, there's lots and lots and lots of experiences of that there is something that works to bring, bring people together. So it creates a certain form of action and a kind of a trajectory to orient energy. And, and what are we doing? But why are we doing that actually? Mm. And then in religion is often the case is like, why? But I don't understand, like, how, why? And if the parents cannot ask, and it's not about explaining the why, but if there is no meaningful transmission of like, why, why do I do that? Why is that meaningful to me? Then I, I kind of like, I, I kill the light that was once in there that gave rise to the form. Yeah. And then it becomes empty and shallow. And then, of course, people will at one point either stick blindly to the rule or turn their back on it and go like and dismiss all of it, which is also a tragedy mm. because often there was something very sacred and, and strong at the beginning of it. But to kind of like sometimes with certain religions, you have to dig really deep mm. and to to care, like to go through a lot of layers that kind of covered the original light that was in there. But it's still 
like it serves a function. And then so to to go to the question of so what's the 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 linkage then between the nervous system and spirituality that I think we're still um let's say there's a there's a power in these states that we all recognize without understanding. So as I said before, if a person is really um, in a good state and is able to maintain a good state, whatever good means, but like, let's say, regulated in an open, creative, emergent way of being with oneself and others, while you come and you have, uh, you're having a dark mood or you're having trouble, and you speak to the person, and this can be a good friend, this can be your mother, this can be your this can be a skilled therapist, whoever can be a priest or a mentor or just an empathic human being that you meet somewhere and is able to listen to you, but not being drowned in the experience of like synchronizing, like syncing up with the, the spiral that you're in you come out of this probably have an opportunity to kind of sync up a little bit with what this person is experiencing without being disconnected from your own experience you kind of get a little uplift or fresh air into your stuck routine of feeling however you make however you you're suffering or create your suffering and when that happens you probably come out of that conversation feel like oh, it was good and you might most likely not know how to answer the question. So what did that person do? And even if you know what the person did, it's not it alone. So there is a there is an inner state that gave rise to the action and to the words that was more powerful than the words alone. If a chatbot would send ask you those questions, it might have, if the, the questions are good and the method is distilled well, again, it might have some effect. But the most powerful, and in a way, going a bit to the spooky side of the world, is like we could say, in a way, if that even if it's a chatbot, if there was something true about the person programming this you kind of like programmed and wired some kind of like um life force in there that speaks then through the through the machine and the chatbot i mean that's kind of like a, a crass example but i think that's that's really how it works um but ideally of course the most effective place is this to experience this in human relation and in in, in in a place where somebody is able to be with you that's why we all know that this is the most effective way to create creativity and healing, like just to be with somebody that's that can be with you, can hold space for you. That phrase that's very often used in facilitation or, or um, therapy is like somebody's holding space for you. But what does that mean, really? Mm. It's that you yourself, in the state that you are with, the thing that you are busy with, you don't have creative space. Your your energy is moving in a patterned way. So there's no creativity. It's like a closed loop. So you cannot think something new. All your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences, your state confirm each other. And then the most tangible expression of it 
is our body states or our emotions or our thoughts. And we're just feeling like, I cannot get out of that thought. And we all know when somehow space happens again, either through movement or through a new thought that came in. That's even a question that the thought came in, create space or something else happened, preceded the thought and then the thought is an expression of space. Um, so whenever something happened, and then you say like, ah, oh, yeah, now I feel a little bit different, or I'm, ah, now I'm having, I'm having a different thought. I was like, oh, I understood. This was actually just a, a little ghost of my past, uh, and not to shame that, but to see like, yeah, that's, that's something, I, and it, it wants to be seen. Mm -hmm. um, so I, it came up, and then now I understand, and now I'm having having a different thought about the conflict or a conversation that you had before. Did you, before you just couldn't. You couldn't have that thought or even trying to make you think yourself think that thought wouldn't have an effect and so when somebody holds space when somebody does that for you which means like the person is in a state that he or she can do that and it's also a certain choice it's not just like i have to be in the state it's a state that i can train and it's a place that also comes from a choice i'll do that and I'll be there for you. Otherwise, as a therapist, you have to be in a good state all day long, and that's just not possible. Of course, the more you train, the more you practice, the more you know how to activate that state, but it's also a choice that you do. And the choice, again, creates space. So the space creates an opportunity. The space creates capacity and offers the other person a different way to co in a co-regulating way synchronized to a higher potential if your therapist in a more depressed mood than you are like really while you talk to him he can still give you good questions and reflections you might feel like yeah it was good questions but most likely and i don't want to make it like that's how it is but talking about likelihood most likely you will not come out so refreshed or with a significant insight so, and it can it can change of course in one session in we, we 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 change states often very often during one hour is like there's a lot of states happening but if there's like the regular mood of the conversations um there's less likelihood that something significant happens for you and on the contrary this is also where we are. We had our initial conversation about that when people are gathering or like having an impulse together around a certain person or what we used to call saint, it's not a word we would use so much anymore nowadays, um, which to somehow is, is a bit of a pity. There's something beautiful to that and not using it in a way that everything about that person then is holy and um is not anymore a human being, but that a person like this can activate certain states more regularly or more powerfully than other people. It's a very I, absolute term, saint, at least how I think we Yeah, use it. it's like once you attain sainthood, then you're saint. Yes. But I think we can ditch. <laughs> it's a human being going through states, but there are definitely the differences. There are certain people I mean, simply, you know, if you look through your friends or the people that you meet, there are some people that are more in certain states and some other people that are more regular in other states. That's just how the world is. And that's not a 
um, measurement about their worth or anything about how much they should be loved or revered as a human being, but there's differences. And there are people who will more regularly, more likely be able to activate or live in a certain state that means a certain either regulation of their nervous system. And sometimes even it can be not a so such a regulated nervous system, but just like through practice or grace, um, things we cannot fully grasp why, I'm more able to live with more space. And more space means I can offer more space and I have more choice. And more choice equals I don't have to collude with the patterned energy that you're bringing when you have a question or you go to somebody with a with your with your burdens, which is fully right. We that's the um, mechanism of life. How healing can happen among relational beings that we go to each other. That's a good thing. It's not about you should sit down and figure it all out by yourself. That's a twisted version of what what it should be like so when you go to somebody with your patterns that the person has more choice not to make a handshake with that pattern even though the tendency is strong like we all know when somebody comes and like wants really to affirm that they're this other person is a really horrible person their outrage is really right that life is really desperate, that there is no um, hope anymore and whatever, I'm just using certain examples. And people want to be related to that. And often their only experience is somebody takes their side. Hmm. Their and experience of synchronizing. The experience of synchronizing and being related to. And somebody yeah. says, yeah, it's true. That's that's It's really like this. Then they feel like, oh, I'm not alone. Because... Patterns are pay basically places where we feel alone. And that's a pretty mm -hmm. terrible place. So it's by misery seeks company. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's a kind of pseudo company. It feels like, okay, I have company, but I don't have actually relation or I don't have the, the sense um, of a shared experience or being related to. Mm -hmm. And that is different from just uh, pity. Like, yeah, I'm with you. Maybe. Um, and sometimes that can actually not be helpful, even though it feels good for the moment. It's like sugaring away hunger. It doesn't really nourish. So the, <coughs> the person um, having more choice in relating to you while staying more free of handshaking with the pattern or being hijacked by the pattern or colluding with the pattern. There's different ways we can describe that, like um, falling into the trap of the only way to meet you is to be like you is, is, is a huge power. And, and again, it's actually the power that, that can create in the feeling of like, yeah, I see you. My heart goes out to you. I can feel you. 
as what you're going through, I fully respect that. I don't see that as a problem that we have to disconnect from. Like, there, of course, there's versions of spirituality that's like, no, that's a lower frequency. Just shift to another state. Uh, that can sometimes work, but in the long run, it will not create healing because you, it might just reinforce splitting parts of your consciousness into the good and the desired parts and the not so good and not so desired parts. And healing creates more coherence, more integration, and not more fragmentation. Mm -hmm. So here, this is great, because here I'm seeing a principle where this kind of uh, holding space, as you described it, as the ability to be with someone, feel someone, but, but stay uh, in my own state of clarity and of spaciousness this kind of accompanying someone requires some sort of trust in a greater intelligence of life because i'm not doing anything there's no like active uh i have to somehow uh fix the suffering that this person in front of me is going through um, or yeah. So, so maybe put differently one, one, yeah. One principle at play is a kind of inherent okayness in the experience that someone is going through, that there's nothing wrong with that. And that like my role as a, uh, support space holder whatever is to allow the unfolding and right. that's cool because this is the first time I'm seeing a spiritual principle in this because this requires trust in life like trust in something bigger than my capacities of directing this process somewhere absolutely and it's beautifully put the way in a way what you described were like definitions or expressions of being in a certain state and i think higher states if you want to use like just kind of a hierarchy which there is it's just different qualities of frequencies but again there is no it's very important always to mention that this has no value judgment in there it's just clarity of differentiation of experiences um So that um, a higher state always has a component of more choice, but also more openness. There is a sense of trust and it has a quality of surrender or being in relation to something bigger. You're not at the forefront of the experience. It's not, I am the creator of this state and therefore I am so powerful. It's like you're relating to something flowing through you and we can call that life. You can call that in religions, we would call it God or the light or whatever is a higher orientation that gives meaning to or an orients the experience that you're having. And so there's a quality of doing, but there's a quality of surrender, of relaxing. And that's where like of the principles of yin yang uh, masculine the feminine whatever tradition or perspective you want to use like they are more falling into place 
I am doing, I'm not like passive and hanging out there and I'm not doing anything because anything happens through me anyway. I'm, you might be very active and engaged in doing a lot, but that action is coming out of being able to also rest at the same time and to what you say, like in the inherent sense of okayness. And okayness again is not like an indifference of like, yeah, everything's okay. Everything is the light. That's the versions of you. If you in one side or the other, you 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 kind of fall off the horse on these sides. It's a, I think the Taoism um, described that often the best with the principles of the yin yang or like wu wei wu the non doing. It's not like that you're not doing anything, but it's also not that you're just doing something. It's like there is an a seamless movement of your actions and your receptivity. And if you're staying in that, it's like it's a creative um, state in which life can regenerate itself. And then your words, what you do, your methods, and you will need something because you need to kind of translate. Um, or let's say for most people, that's the case. <laughs> you will need to do something so that people stay interested and stay with you. Of course, there are some saints maybe where you're just hanging in there and they're doing maybe nothing and a lot happens but it's not that they're not doing nothing it's just it's not visible to the naked eye of what the action is that is being happening and the more subtle it goes the higher the frequencies goes the less it's like discernible what's the thing and then people in the mind of people go like what's happening in there it's spooky it's hypnotism it's like all of these kind of things and of course a lot also a lot of shadow material also can happen in these in these places like a saint of course as we said is our modern understanding which is great is not only a fully integrated person that cannot carry any shadow anymore every capacity every state has a potential also for shadow so we're talking not about absolute persons but uh, an assortment of capacities that are maybe able to hold more life force more chi more light whatever the term you want to use um, in a coherent fashion and that will have an effect so there is an effectiveness <coughs> to our being and that's a pretty radical um, paradigm shift coming from the world where effects has always to do with what we do. How my action has an effect, do something to have an effect. That's an expression that our being is already effective and it can have an effect in a regenerative, creative, emergent way when life's kind of open. If you, when the river's flowing, it's like, feels creative sometimes you have a good day and a lot happens you didn't even plan on any of it it just like happens because you're in the in the movement of life and then the next day you don't do anything different but you feel stuck because you you met patterns and you feel like the damn ridder is not moving anywhere at all or you have to make it move or like there's no water and like it's like it's all difficult and every conversation okay. feels like oh it's just hard work and the next day something changes again and it's like so these changes create experiences um, or this, this state ex creates experiences of life that we then interpret in certain ways. And because they were easily pinpointing more to the things we do, we think it's, it's what we did. 
course, there's still also things that we do can activate states again. So there's always a correlation of all these places, but to really take on that the way you are inside has an effect is very powerful. And it's also greatly liberating because as you said before, you don't have to be stressed out. It's not all up to you. You don't have to do it all. Kind of can lean back and then see what wants to be done. And there's a greater trust in the, in the inherent rightness of all the experiences without being indifferent that, yeah, it's all great. So let's watch the tragedy unfold. That's not like responsibility, right? Responsibility is inherently wired in such a state. Yeah. And it's the, <laughs> in a stressed out space, that's one of the hardest things to come back to. So it's, it's, it's easy in a way, but it's also the most counterintuitive when survival mechanisms are at play. Totally. There's, yeah. There's one more thing that I wanted to say, which is, um, so the way you talk about sainthood, since we used that word in the beginning, um, so with our understanding, modern understanding of the nervous system where basically the many of the things that used to be invisible to us are now measurable, which is really fascinating. Um, I would say so, also, but I'm going along. Yeah, not all, not all of them, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's like the the it's the the gap is not as clear anymore. Like there's movement happening in between. And this I found very interesting. Yeah. Um, and so the way you talk about sainthood or whatever, like an a person in a particular state, like you you're you're not talking about it in absolutes. So there's a kind of demystifying in it because the gap between like ah this is me and i know i experience myself in my day-to-day -day life and i'm definitely not enlightened uh and versus here's a saint and i think we we kind of carry this absolute image of like and that means this person is always in a particular way of being and the way that you talk about it it's like you're bridging the gap in a way like it's not anymore these people out there and me it's like the cultivation of certain states and like the stabilizing of it and like there's there's something liberating in this but i also notice there's something um disappointing about it <laughs> like it's it's also kind of nice to have these ideas images of like saints and like these these absolute the humans that have reached like absolute states. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack in there. Um, and why would you say it's nice to have that idea? It's nice because it somehow like it makes the path clear of how I can how I can come closer to that. So it's not anymore, well, some people are just lucky and they're born a particular way or grace hits them and they're suddenly like this, but it's like, no, it's a freaking cultivation. Right. And the cultivation works through many, 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 many layers of disappointment. 
and disillusionment about what that means that everybody that went onto the spiritual path know that you met that multiple times and you will meet multiple times disillusionment around what you thought that state will be like and you graced with more blessings than you could think of and you also have to let go of things that you thought that this would be bringing to you because also with increased capacity to relate to stay open you will also increase your capacity to feel um, the beauty and the pain of the world because there's lots and we all number ourselves down to feel just doable chunks of it um, which is of course wise otherwise it would all overload our nervous system so that also when you go grow these capacities it's not just just that you just sit on a on cloud seven and be blissed all day long the bliss is coming from being more being more exposed to more life and more life means the beauty and the pain of it and there is something it's it's really again it's so powerful that so what he said that it it trend it it gives an opportunity to people to feel different and in a way reflect if it's done well it reflects back something of their own capacity because if your nervous system can take it can gear towards that and it's individual how your biological structures and psychological structures are wired but it, it's it's a it's a human capacity after all to go into states to all sorts of states to feel clear whole light compassionate loving generous insightful whatever so if you if you get that experience it sets a marker in your systems like what is this possible and i experienced it it becomes an ex embodied experience and it creates a kind of a striving for which can become also parts of suffering because like oh now i've tasted it and now it's gone again and i want it back and ideally that sparks a, a certain hunger for cultivating and practice to go through all the difficulties that you also need to go through because people that have attained that it's not that they just got lucky i mean sometimes it looks like this but there is real work that happened that maybe is visible or invisible or we cannot maybe pinpoint where it happened but it's it's not just like oh, this one got lucky and blessed by God and therefore, and I know a lot of people who are incredible people, like what you said, like they're always like this. I've never met anybody who was always like the best self of themselves. And I would say I met quite a few people that were would be regarded as very advanced human beings. And it's very disappointing to also see, oh, you can also be like this. Because that more childhood childish projection and I, I don't mean it in a derogatory way childish but like hope that some place somewhere with something with somebody everything is good is true but not in the way we want we, we think it should happen like not the form it's still a, a human being that walks in life that will go through challenges but the way that the challenges are being handled how they relate to these states is like the the marker of of health and maturity and there is a there is a there's a beauty in that that one 
person, one nervous system, and it can be one group, one practice. I don't want to define it just to a, to a person because it can can become cultish, like this person now has an answer. But to understand the principle that um, one element of regulation, one element of consciousness, where it comes and easiest, of course, is in an embodied human being form, because that's what we're so used to relate to, um, can change an entire state of a group and potentially of a nation and maybe in the future of the planet of everybody living on the planet and we're in desperate need of that to find ways how we can cohere as human beings around principles that orient us towards more creativity and emergence because all the problems we're having is because we're fragmented one wants this one part of the world wants this, the other part of the world wants that, and we cannot get together to synchronize our action towards the, the questions that are at hand, and they're kind of like flying into our face because they are more and more urgent. And the question will be around what do we cohere around our instinctual uh, survival mechanisms that, of course, have their trusted intelligence, but also go um can go into quite violent destructive modes or are we find finding ways to cohere around states that are regenerative creative and emergent and yeah the jury is still very much out on this one and but i think that the, the hopeful for me the hopeful place is in understanding that the principle is not that we have to go through all seven or eight billion people on the planet and see if we can find their consent and make them convince or something is that there is a much deeper force that already has an inbuilt power to create synchronicity among us human beings. What that will look like, I <laughs> don't know, um, but I'm pretty committed to keep looking or to, to, to play my part and that you are playing a part already mm. it happens already the way what we create how we live our life creates ripples of influence and states of consciousness in yourself and other people and so this kind of empowerment to understand even if you cannot do something now to change the state of the world most of us feel or a lot of people feel these days disempowered because so much going on and what can i do is not really taking into account that you're already having an impact, that you're already having an effect. And um, I find something empowering and comforting or hopeful in, in understanding that, that I can get myself inspired and I can inspire and it, it creates ripples and the butterfly effects in a way, if you will that again is bigger than what I can control. Hmm. Nice. Hey, as a uh, closing down, can, can you bridge what we've talked about to trauma-informed facilitation? <laughs> yes. Now we went from <laughs> the practicalities of how healing... <laughs> and uh, 
facilitation can look like to the state of the world. So yeah. let's bring it down. Um, and I think that's that's in a way what I'm hoping to to transmit to people that by using our scientific understanding of what we know now about trauma and trauma states in our nervous system and the capacity that we're not just subjected to the movements, the ebb and the tide of these states changing, that there is really practices that we can cultivate through understanding, insight, relation with ourselves, relation with our body, um, all kinds of things that you can do that you can also with that cultivate states or create more awareness around states that you're experiencing. And that this is in addition to what you do, or even as the ground of what you do makes whatever you already do much more powerful and understanding this in yourself becomes a template of how you can understand others and the states that they are in and that you're less trying to manipulate people into different experiences or forcing them to change or getting irritated when they don't want to change or when they are defensive or irritated, but that is more and more understanding and compassion about knowing how to relate to these states in yourself and therefore in other people. And that by, by practicing this and engaging in this, whatever you do will become, will become much more impactful and there's less friction in a way with experiences that it should be different, but seeing that as inherent um, intelligent expressions of life that are looking for somebody that can contain them so that within them, it's a bit like a within them, they can unravel and sort itself new. It's a bit like you have a... Um, yarn of wool that kind of got a bit stuck and you cannot by in the in the space that it occupies you cannot change that so you need space in which you can unravel the things and find out where the knots are and that somebody holds space for that you can unravel and then organize itself in a more coherent fashion again or you can create something beautiful with the with the wool so there is always a striving. There's a, there's a pull force that wants that. But if that pull force is, you know, it's like if you have a knot and you pull stronger on both ends, the knot will not release. So you need something different and it's just like trying more, trying harder, but going like, ah, oh, isn't that interesting what you're experiencing there, creating like a, a space in which it can unfold, which feels vulnerable, but then can sort itself. And so my, my passion in this is using all the understanding and what we know as things we can practice to cultivate uh, ultimately that state in yourself. And I think one of the strongest practices one can do is to cultivate these states and to trust and then experience they are impactful that there is effectiveness in that and effectiveness in the sense of like being having an, an impact creating more choice in you and in the world and in other people and that um that is a pretty pretty deep journey to be on i would say and 
something one can start right away, practicing, getting oriented, learning about. And it's a, it's a journey down the rabbit hole, but once you're falling, you're up for a journey. Yes, and whenever you're listening to this podcast, um, I'll put the link to relevant trainings and offerings around trauma-informed facilitation and leadership in the show notes, so you can check that out. Right, and maybe one one word to that, because using the words facilitation and leadership is already that when people come to you, they come to you for a certain expertise often, but unconsciously what they're coming to is a hope that they can be contained in something they're struggling with. And so in a way they're paying you <laughs> for your time, but they're paying you ideally for your capacity to maintain a certain state over a certain period of time in the face of something very difficult. And, and to know what you can contain and what you cannot contain is the biggest gift you can give to the world. Because the stronger the pattern, of course, the stronger is the like hypnotic force on you or like a, a vortex that tries to suck you in and being part of that pattern. And the more you train these states to be stable in the face of adversity, the more in a way your healing power grows and that's that's true leadership leadership is not saying like i know where to go follow me but it's the capacity to stay related to your own clarity and orientation and to what people are bringing and this can be in a team with two people and this can be as the leader of a nation but the principle is really the same so it's a uh, and you don't know where life will take you. <laughs> Wherever you are right now, like I'm just doing small things. You don't know. Mm. And it doesn't matter, but it's that's your contribution. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the <laughs> again and again the reconfirmation of that. I find this super powerful. And yes. thank you, Gregor. Yeah, thank you, David. It was a great conversation. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Integral Being podcast. To learn more about my work, go to integralbeing.at and I hope to see you there.